service. Our message today is on is part of our series, Opening Doors. Um, as you uh, as you guys know, um, when well maybe. Maybe you guys know this, maybe you don't. Whoever's put together a sermon before, you definitely know this. Whoever's put together a Bible study before. Have you ever noticed that when you're doing these things, like stuff pops out to you, and you're like, wow. It's kind of like doing your devotions, and stuff pops out to you, but then you're having to write it down as well. So if you don't write while you're doing your devotions, you're really missing out on something. I'm going to tell you what. I am finding that as I'm working through all of these sermons, putting them all together and everything, that God is just highlighting stuff in my life like crazy. And it's stuff that I realize that I have to work really, really hard on. So, are you working hard? I, 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 just to just go like this or not like this. I mean, if you're not working hard, that's understandable. I understand. Um, but if you're working hard, it's like this. And I'm telling you, you work on this stuff, it'll change you. In a really good way. And doors will open in your life. I've really been, uh, you know, God gave me the, the, the title for the series and everything else. And I'm like, okay, God, it's going to be opening doors. Cool. What does that mean? All right. And then <laughs> I'm just going into it. And I'm, like, I'm going, wow, okay, cool. God is highlighting something or showing me something every single day. And I, I hope it's, it's doing that for you as well. I'm hoping you're taking what we're learning during these messages and just, studying it a little. If it, even if it's like 10, 15 minutes a week, just study it a little. And, you know, ask, ask yourself the simple question, am I doing that? If I'm not doing that, why am I not doing that? Should I be doing that? So it goes into that. Um, see, the thing is, is that I, I learned something in, in Bible school once upon a time. Um, it, we were talking about communication, and the fact of the matter is, is that face to face communication like this, where I'm preaching to you. Have you ever had a teacher that's kind of like me? They just sit up there and they talk to you, and they have slides up on a screen. Yeah, most of us have been that, or you, you had a book. So it, it kind of learning kind of goes like this. Let me teach you a little bit about learning because I'm a teacher, so I'm going to go put my teaching hat on for a minute. Learning works like this. If I tell you something, and you don't write it down, and you don't repeat it, and you don't do it again, you'll forget it. If you read something, and you don't write it down, and you don't practice it, you'll forget it less. Do you see the progression here? If you do write something down, and you don't practice it, you'll remember it even more. If you practice something, you'll remember it even more. It's the most effective. Essentially, what I'm doing up here, sitting up here, talking to you, and the reason why I have slides and things are written down so you have to read them is because the fact of the matter is if it was just my voice talking to you every single week, it is the lowest common denominator for you guys to learn the word from church. We figured that out a while ago, and that's why pastors have started doing these things where they throw slides up. Why? Because at least if you're reading it, that's the next level. And the next level is to have something for you guys to write with, which if you turn your bulletins over, there's a wonderful notes section there. You can write stuff out if you want to. Like something pops out, you can write that down. 
Okay, so it's it's part of this learning process and how people learn. They've done studies on this. This is this is actual like facts. Some of you guys are kinetic learners. You have to be moving around. If you want to stand up and walk around while I'm preaching, if you want to go pace in the back of the room, I am seriously okay with that, as long as it helps. The key thing is, is I I want you to listen to the word and what God is saying, and then put it into practice. Because I mean. It's kind of why I'm here. <laughs> um, but before we go any further, I want to talk to you something um, about, before we go into uh, the service, uh, before we start talking about uh, Christian service, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, what, something that's very integral to Christian service. And this is godly character. Um, character is something that I've actually done a lot of writing on, a lot of writing on. Um, but uh, I wanted to talk to you about this. And before we get going into this, I want to be very clear about something. When I'm at the pulpit and when I'm speaking, I don't get political. You're not going to hear me from the pulpit advocating for one political party or another or one position or another from the pulpit. But here was what you are going to hear from me. You are going to hear that I speak about the right that people have to live. I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe in the right of justice, real justice. I'm not saying social justice or anything like that. I'm saying justice, righteous justice. And I'll always stand up for common human decency and morality. I always will. But the thing is, is I believe that the place where, con- where, where, where decency and morality, where all this stuff is taught, I think that's the home. It should be the home. Parents should be teaching it to their kids, and your parents should have taught it to you. But the church is not the home. The church is a place where people go to meet Jesus. It's a place where people go to get to know the author of decency and morality and all that other stuff. It's where the people who are in charge of the home learn and change so that they can teach their kids and other kids around them. If you don't have kids, you still have kids around you, and you still teach them by, by your life and how you act and how you speak and all this other stuff, okay? All this together, the work of the home, the work of the church, the work of the Holy Spirit, are all influences in people's lives. But we don't always allow the good influences of godly families or godly church, or the Holy Spirit to penetrate us and change us. And in turn, our character turns into something that's not a very godly thing. So I want to talk to you a little bit more. The Bible is full of examples and where the authors of Scripture tell us that we have to imitate God, meaning that we should take on his character. I always, I always, I always think of like characters, like in a in a movie or characters in a TV show. You know, they always like read up on these things, and then they try to become whatever the the script writer wants them to become. You know, that's what they get paid to do. You know, I was watching this uh, this this video the other day, and they, it was a it was a movie scene, and they had the script running underneath, like as it as they were as they were talking through the lines. And, you know, I don't know these actors from anything other than their work, but the reality is, is that as they were reading these lines, they didn't get every single line correctly, 
but they got the crux of what they were going for. They they had the character right. They may not have been that person in real life, and I, I hope they weren't because one of the guys was portraying a Nazi. So <laughs> I'm just saying, let's hope that that was you know not his real life. He was just playing a character. But see, the thing is, is that in order to be like Christ, in order to be godly, we have to take on his characteristics. 1 Corinthians 10.34 uh, puts it this way. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. This is Paul saying, I'm going to imitate Christ. And since you don't know Christ because you haven't seen him, you can imitate me because I'm going to imitate Christ. That's like an imitation of an imitation. You ever play telephone? It's easier when it's just, the, when it's just three people. Usually you get that one right. So if you've got someone in your life who you know has godly character, you can imitate them. It's okay. It's like telephone with fewer people. It's wonderful. 1 Peter 2.21 says this, He is your example, and I must follow, in his, follow his steps. Christ was Peter's example. So we have to follow in his steps. It's not just taking on his character. It's moving in the direction he's going to move. Last time I checked, steps meant movement. So we have to move. It's part of taking on someone's character. You can't just be like, okay, I am, I, I am going to play the part of an ice cream man. And then you just sit there. If you just sit there, no one's going to know that you're an ice cream man. You have to actually get out there and get in a truck and drive around. I'm only pointing this out because we went to the ice cream truck, and it was really good. If you see them, help them out because they're, they're amazing people. But seriously, unless you're actually going to act like an ice cream man, you're not going to be an ice cream man. If you don't act like Christ, you're not a Christian. The word Christian literally means Christ-like. So if you're not Christ-like, you're not a Christian. Ooh. More about godly character. Our character is influenced by the books we read, meaning the media that we consume, and the people we meet, which are the people we interact with. How many of you guys are well aware in our culture that the enemy is out to get our kids? And he's going to do it by way of videos and video games and YouTube videos and all this other stuff. And we also get these wonderful things called college professors, which can be really, really not helpful in a lot of ways. I know some really good Christian colleges people can go to, but I've met some crazy professors there too. And the thing is, is that those are the influences on our kids' lives. Parents, you're not the only influences on your kids. You have to be very cautious of those things. Believe me, I, I'm constantly cautious about these things because you walk, this, you walk this line of allowing your kids to be exposed to the world but not so exposed that they're being drugged into the ditch. In the world but not of the world is, is, is the key words here. See, the thing is, is I believe... People who have a close relationship with God have allowed themselves to be vulnerable to the influence of a godly family, a godly church, and the influences of the Holy Spirit. And that is shown, and that is exhibited by people in godly character. I expect believers to have godly character, and it breaks down, and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when I meet people 
who say they're believers, but you can tell by their life that they're not. It reminds me of that scripture where, where, where Jesus says, one of these days, people are going to go up to heaven. They're going to go, Lord, Lord, I did, I did, I did. As we're going to talk about in service, it's not about what you did. So let me be clear. I'm not talking about mistakes. People make mistakes all the time. I've made mistakes all the time. I am talking about people who have been genuinely misled and have allowed themselves to be influenced by ungodly things and people. Allowed themselves to be influenced that way. The key difference between those who make sinful mistakes and those who have a sinful character is a spiritual maturity exhibited by a repentant heart and a disciplined discernment. I put a little equation up there. Spiritual maturity equals a repentant heart and disciplined discernment. We can have discernment, but is it a disciplined discernment? Is your discernment based upon a disciplined character, or is it based upon your whims or what you think? What you think might not be right. A repentant heart is another one. Are you willing to tell God every single day, God, I'm sorry, I messed that up. Are we forgiven? Yes. Do we have grace? Yes. Should we be repentant? Absolutely. Repentance literally means turning away, going the opposite direction. I was going that way, and I figured out it's wrong, and I'm just going to turn around. That's repentance. But there's a difference between a believer with spiritual maturity and a churchgoer who claims salvation by not submitting to God's commands. I believe the Bible when it says in Titus 3, 3-7, and this is from the message, and I hardly ever use the message, but I wanted to be very clear on this. It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes to sin, ordered every which way by our clans, going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, he saved us from all of that. It was all his doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath, and we came out of it new people, washed inside and out, by the Holy Spirit, our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship to him and given us back our lives. And there's more to come, an eternity of life. See, I believe in eternal life. And I believe that redemptive work of the Holy Spirit is available for every person. Everyone, even the worst person you ever know, that's still available to them. But too many people today, even those who claim salvation, are still stupid. They're stubborn. They're dupes to sin. They're being pushed around by all of their glands. And they walk around with chips on their shoulders. I love how the message puts that. <laughs> Titus 1, uh, 15 to 16 puts it this way. Everything is clean to a clean-minded person. Nothing is clean to a dirty-minded, to dirty-minded unbelievers. They leave their dirty fingerprints on every thought and action. They say they know God, but their actions speak louder than words. They're real creeps. Disobedient, good-for-nothings. Ooh. Take the message to just lay it out like that, right? That's my last 
verse from the message I promised for today. <laughs> Believers with discernment can identify these folks, these creeps. You really can. You know who they are. Right now, you're sitting here in this room, and you're going, I think I know someone like that. Okay? These folks see everything as suspect. They worry about everything. They have such a problem, and they make everything such a big deal. And they live in a perpetual cycle of offense. The result, unfortunately, is disobedience. This person ends up failing to live up to what God has for them and what he's created them to become. And the suffering from that disobedience spreads from them to those around them, to those that should have been reached for Jesus. But because of their disobedience, those opportunities go unfulfilled. See, the thing is, is we're not judges of people's salvation, which is absolutely true. And if anyone ever says that they are, they're wrong. But the Bible is clear that faith without good deeds or works is dead. So that's how we tell. James two fourteen to 20 says this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is, de- it is dead and useless. Now someone may get argue, some people have faith, others have good works. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good works? I'll show you my faith by my good works. And you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. How foolish. Can you see that faith without good deeds is useless? See, we can't judge people's salvation, but we can judge the evidence of their salvation. Because the evidence of their salvation is going is to show their dependence on God. It's going to show their dependent, their obedience to him. And it's going to be evident through their actions. And all of this evidence adds up. So what does having godly character have to do with Christian service? Simply put, Christian service is how a person who has godly character exhibits the change that God has produced in their lives for the glory of God. See, last week we spoke about um, how the cross was Jesus' ultimate sign of submission. Well, I want to tell you today that the ultimate sign of service is the towel. In John 13, Jesus does something that that was not only expected, but it was considered very controversial for him to do. So you have to understand something about this, is that in Jesus' day, when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, that was a big deal. Because that just wasn't done. The boss didn't do that. The person in charge didn't do that. The rabbi didn't do that. Do you know who did that? The lowest person in the house did that. The slave. The youngest daughter. See, last week we talked about how children and women didn't have the rights and values that they have now. 
This is what they were told to do. When a guest came to visit, you're going to wash their feet, and you don't get to argue about it. And them feet were gross. They were really gross. They walked around on them. They got all sandy. They got all muddy. They all got disgusting. You know, guys like Peter probably had a few corns. Uh, and, and, you know, Bartholomew, with a name like that, you know, he's got warts. Um, you're like, no, Jesus would have healed them. Eh, maybe. <laughs> he didn't heal everybody. <laughs> but here's the thing. Jesus washed his disciples' feet because it was a statement. And that statement was this. And it was revealed in what Christ said. In John chapter 13, 14, 15, it says this. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash the feet of others. I have given you example to follow. So do as I've done for you. Jesus, by doing this action, is saying these words. He's commanding his disciples, which we are all his disciples, to be humble servants. And as we learned from last week, when we come to submission, it's not just begrudging servanthood. You have to have the right attitude about it. Mark 3, uh, sorry, 9.35 puts it this way. He sat down calling the 12 disciples over to him and said, Whatever, sorry, whoever wants to be first must take last place and the servant of everyone else. See, I'm not saying that Christians' Christians lives uh, should be one of competition. I'm not saying we need to start advocating for, like, I'm the lowest. I'm the lowest. I did this for this person. It's not a comparison game, guys. It really isn't. You're not going to get imaginary points in heaven because you did this thing or you went and washed someone's feet or scrubbed bugs off of someone's vehicle, whatever. You're not going to get points for that. Because you got to have the right heart still, right? Important in, it's important in showing God how great we can be as his servants, but the important thing is that we're obedient to what he wants us to do. See, too often our flesh gets in the way of understanding God's heart. First John 2.16 puts it this way, for the, for the world offers only cravings of physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and the pride of, in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. There are so many out there that believe success is measured by the size of your bank account or the power or positions you hold. God's definition of success is if we're successful in obedience. Too much energy expended in the wrong thinking and movement is occurring. What we often don't realize is that what we're doing is, in being disobedient, against God is that we're actually fighting against his creative order. He created us to be a certain way. What did God say about, uh, 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 I remember there's some, some verse about being a yoke, about his yoke being lighter, right? So if we follow his way, and we do things his way, and we're obedient to God, you know, the creator of the universe, the one that created all this stuff, if we're obedient to him, then our yoke will be lighter. And we get confused about God's stuff. Sometimes we get confused because we think only God wants big things. Let me tell you a story. 
See, God wants servants who are willing to even do the small things. Because the small things often make the biggest differences. In the book of Acts, there's a woman. Uh, her name is Dorcas. And um, Peter was walking through town. And he was on a healing ministry, which is, you know, really cool. So I promise if anyone's walking through town and they've got a healing ministry, I'll call everyone up. We can all get down here on a Thursday night and we'll do a healing service. Be awesome. <laughs> but Peter's walking through town. And Dorcas has died. And uh, all of Dorcas's friends, which she had a lot of them, said, Hey, Peter, 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 come on, come see Dorcas. Okay. I don't know this Dorcas, but I'm going. Her name was Tabitha, by the way. Tabitha Dorcas. It just depends on if you're going to call her Greek or Hebrew name. This is what Acts 9.39 says. So Peter returned with them, and as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. This lady made clothes for the widows. She didn't start a church. She didn't have some big televangelist ministry. She wasn't on, she wasn't, you know, written about other than in the scripture here. She wasn't writing a part of the Bible or a gospel or anything like that. She was making clothes for people who needed them. And it mattered to these folks. So much so that they went and got Peter, who was on a healing ministry at the time, and said, hey, come see Dorcas. So guess what happened? He went. He saw them, and he saw all the compassion on their hearts for her. And you know what he did? He sat down on the other side of the room. I imagine she was like where Sarah is right now, like over there. And he goes, hey, Dorcas, get up. And guess what? She gets up. See, they advocated her for her not because of her greatness, but because of her obedience and kindness. She was a servant. The reality is, is no one can do everything, but everyone could do something. I, I think it's completely insane to believe that a person can do everything for everyone at all times. Um. Last time I checked, we were images of God. We were not God. We cannot be all places at all times for all people doing all things. And I also believe in this statement, do only what only you can do. There is something that you can do that you know no one else can do. Do that thing. Why? Because if you don't do the one thing that only you can do, people are going to miss out on the one thing that only you can do. See, we can get so caught up in all this other stuff. You know, I can go do this because this is a good thing for me to do over here. I did that for years. I could have been in the army. I could do that. I could go lug around a, a, a backpack and get in trucks and protect a chaplain. Sure. But what did God call me to do? He called me to go into the ministry. Nah, I'll just stick around a little bit longer. That's somebody called me to do. So you got to get up. You got to go do something about it. You got to change something in your life. 
You have to go do what only you can do. So where does that fit? The church has something called a five-fold ministry. This is a complicated chart, but I promise I'm going to go through it all. The church has something called a five-fold ministry, and it's called the apostle, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And this all comes from Ephesians uh, chapter 4, verses 11 to 12, and it says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Now, be careful. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, these are gifts given to the church. So, do you have a pastor? Hi. Do you have teachers? I, I'm, I teach, but I'm sure, I mean, David's led Bible study, Eric's led Bible study, the rest of you guys, some of you have also led Bible study. You guys are teachers. Good job. Evangelists. Who absolutely loves going out, talking to people, and bringing them to Jesus? We need them. That's important. Past, I mean, we talked about pastors, we talked about teachers. What about prophets? Without the prophetic, there's not a whole lot of power going on in a church. How do we know what God is calling us to do without the prophets? The people that are interpreting the word of God and giving it to us. Apostles. What is an apostle? Ah, that's, that's one of those words, those Christianese words. The apostles are what Paul said. I'm going to be like God, so you be like me. That's an apostle. You know, we often think, you know, about Paul and the fact that he went around and did so much ministry in all these different places and missionary journeys. A good portion of his ministry was tent making. He had a job in a town and he would speak in that town for years. And he earned money while tent making. He was still an apostle. He wasn't the head of the church in that town. You don't have to be the head of the church to be an apostle. Ooh. Guys, some of you have the gift of being an apostle and you've got to step up. Some of you guys have the gift to be a prophet. Step up. Some of you have gifts to be evangelists. Step up. Some of you have gifts to be a pastor. Step up. Talk about it. Teaching. If you got something on your heart that you need to teach for, that God has told you to teach, do it. Because if you don't do these things, which is the fivefold ministry of the church, people are going to miss out. But Scripture also identifies individual gifts as well, and that's that other side. Romans 12... 12, 6 to 8 puts it this way. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if, you, so if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach them well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for, some, for, knowing, for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11 says this, To one person the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice, which is called words of wisdom. To others, the same Spirit gives the message of special knowledge, words of knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another, and some, someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing 
He gives one person the power to perform miracles, another ability to prophesy, and he gives someone the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, and while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is one, and it is the one and only Spirit who distributes these gifts. He decides which gifts each person is to have. So, Guys, if, if we don't, you, you identify with something up here. You're like, that's me. That really is me. Well, you got to do it. You don't do it. I, I can't help you. I mean, you, you know that term, you know that, you know that good old term, you lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. <laughs> Again, <laughs> preaching, lowest form of communication. <laughs> you got to write it down or you got to practice it or something. It's unrealistic to believe that a person will have all the gifts. But they should be operating in the gifts that they do have. If we act on these gifts, he's given us, then we'll not only be a paragon of Christian character, but our church body will be healthy and vibrant as well. See, the reality is the church isn't about its programs or its events or its church services. Those don't indicate the health of a church. They really don't. A healthy church body is one where the people in the church are encouraging each other to engage in their spiritual gifts so that ministry can be enabled. The rest of 1 Corinthians 12 discusses all of this in greater details. But in summary, if we do not do what God has created us and designed us to do, then we're sick, weak, as a church. And we won't produce fruit. And Jesus put it this way in Matthew 7. A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can also identify people by their actions. Jesus isn't just talking about agriculture here. He's talking about people. If you know something that needs to get done, take that as a word from God to get it done. Complaining breaks down relationships. It breaks down your relationships with others, as James 3.10 puts it. And so blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this should not be so. It's just not right. It breaks your relationship with God. If you need help, reach out to the people in the church. Don't allow pride or ego to be the reason why vision, while God's vision is not attended to. Unfulfilled godly vision is eternally deadly. I'm going to get a little personal real quick. When Leah and I traveled here as candidates, when we were traveling around to a lot of churches as candidates, you know, I spoke in a lot of different services to a lot of different congregations and I played worship at fewer of them than I did than I than I did actually play at them, you know. Um 
And the thing is, is that in the process of looking for a church, we weren't looking for the biggest church or the healthiest church or the most financially stable church or anything like that. We were looking for basically two things. We were looking for God's direction and to tell us where we wanted to go. I remember, um, I remember telling my wife we were candidating at a church in Pennsylvania. It was right before we came here. And you remember that story because I, I, was, I was telling David about it when we were on the phone. Um, I, said, I said, God, we, we, got, we got opportunities all over the place now, which is a great feeling. It's a great feeling when you, have good, when you have job opportunities in many places. When you don't have job opportunities anywhere, that stinks. But I said, God, how am I supposed to know? And the Holy Spirit just impressed it on me. And this is after hours and hours of seeking God's face. He impressed it upon me. He said, you're going to know the moment you set foot in that place. You're going to know. I said, okay. I'm just going to go with it. I went home and I told Leah and she said, okay. <laughs> Wives always like to have that clear direction from the Holy Spirit. They're usually not so happy when you come home and say, hey, I got, a, I got this thing from God and it's completely vague. Okay, good. Well, when we stepped off the airplane, well, actually, it wasn't the airplane. It was the, when we got to the end of the jet bridge in Bismarck. I could tell that there was something different about this place. And then when we met Sarah, and she was smiling at us, and I'm like, oh, cool, she's smiling. <laughs> That's a nice change. <laughs> and it was freezing outside. It, has, it was actually colder in Virginia that day, but... Uh, but it was really cold. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, we felt so much love from everyone here. We just knew. We knew. And it wasn't just me. My wife knew. And my kids knew. I'm telling you, when Matthias knows, that's a big deal. When your four-year-old's like, we're home. That's a big deal. And you're like, okay, well, that's pretty cool. But there was a second criteria that I had for a church. That I said, God, uh, you know, I'll go anywhere you want to send me. Where do you want me to go? And he says, you'll, you'll know. And I said, okay. But the other thing was this. I said, God, the church and the community have to have potential. There has to be potential there. Because if there's not potential there, that's, that's a big waste of time. And most of the churches we were, we were candidating at, the vast majority, actually, except two, they would, they would have required us to move. That's a big stinking deal for a family of, of six, or for any family. To move is a big deal. I mean, you don't want to move for nothing. You don't want to pick up your entire life and leave and go do something else on a whim. You want to know that where you're going really has a possibility of taking off. And I'll be honest, guys, I was looking at it and going, man, this is North Dakota, that's a long way away, God. Really long way away. But I'll tell you what. I found a community when I got here so full of potential I'm not even sure you guys know how much potential this community has. I only know that 
there's so much potential here because I've been in places that have been so depressed, so down, so distraught, that even the people in the church knew that there was no way the church was going to grow. No way. They didn't, they didn't want to grow. They didn't care to grow. They didn't want anything to do with it. We got people in this community that are fighting for our town, that care about our town, that care about our community. That's attractive to me. I want to be a part of that. I want to serve there. I want to pick up and move there. Everything else was a perk. <laughs> I mean, the fact that my kids each get a, their own bedroom, that's a perk. I li- I, I'll tell you right now, I'd live in a, in, a, in a van down by the river if I had to. Some of you all get that reference. <laughs> Some of you all younger guys get that reference, sorry. <laughs> I would have in a minute because God's taken me through a lot worse. But I got blessed because you guys bless us with a great house. You've blessed us with friendship and kindness. Sarah blessed us with more chili than I can imagine, and we thank her for it. You guys have been a blessing to us in every single possible way. See, the thing is, is I got a word of confirmation from the Holy Spirit about that. And it's provided, and it's proved to me that this is where we're supposed to be. And the thing is, is that the potential of this church is also fleshed out by the previous pastors. Because I've called them. I've talked to them. I've built relationship with them. Every single one of them has said, this church and this town has so much potential. The key thing is, if we are going to be a church that reaches our community, if we are going to be the community's church that I believe God is calling us to become, then that means we've got to do it. We've got to step up and do it. Focus less on the problems and focus more on Jesus. That's what I learned from junior high camp. Your problems don't get better by focusing on them. Problems get better when Jesus replaces them. 1 Corinthians 12, 18-31 puts it this way. Our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where, it wa- just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and the least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together 
such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members can care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First is the prophets, second, sorry, first is the apostles, second is the prophets, third are the teachers, and those who do miracles, those who have healing gifts, and those who can help others. Those are the gifts, those who have gifts of leadership, and those that speak in unknown languages. All are apostles, sorry, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But let me show you a way of life that is best of all. See, the reality is, is our potential is realized when we all commit to serve God and be obedient to what he has called us to do and what he's created us to do. I read a book not so long ago. I'm going to end on this. It, was, uh, it, was a, uh, it had an assessment assigned to it. It's called Strengths Finder. And uh, if you guys ever get a chance, some of these books I mentioned, I suggest you pick them up. Strengths Finder is cool. Always pick up a new one, though, because if you get a used one, someone's already done the assessment, and that's basically all the money that goes into this thing. So you're wasting your money if you get a used one. But Strengths Finder 2.0 is wonderful. It helps, you to un- it helps you to identify the strengths of your character. Not that you are weak in other areas and you need to work on it. The, the important thing I learned from that book is this. You're strong at this. Go be strong at that. You're weak at this. Don't do it. Let someone else do it. Because someone else is strong in that. Go be strong in what you're strong in. Because the longer, let's say, let's say you don't know how to do something, or you don't know how to do something very well, you're going to end up spending days, months, years, thousands of dollars to go learn how to do something, to go change your life in a direction that you weren't even created to do in the first place. Some of us do that on accident. <sighs> I'm not going to go into that right now. But be strong at what you're strong at. And don't for one instant expect other people to be strong at what you're strong at. Expect them to be strong at what they're strong at. That's it. Because when we're all strong at what we're strong at, when we can all do what we can do, what only we can do, we'll reach our peop- the people in this community. When we come together and work together, we'll reach the people in this community. When we use our gifts for God's glory, we'll reach the people in this community. I'm not worried, guys. Because we have great potential. Lord God, as we go from here today, I pray that all of us would take a long, hard look at where we are. Not just as a church, but individually, God. 
we have our jobs and we have our careers and we have our, 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 our things that we do every single day, God, but are we serving where we're, to be, where we're supposed to be serving? God, maybe it's just a weird thing that you put on our head. But God, it's, it's, it, you put it there. It can't be that weird. <laughs> it's going to reach somebody for you. Because whatever you put on our heart is for your glory, God. Maybe it seems unfeasible. God, you're the, you're, you're the God with a cattle on a thousand hills. I don't think anyone around here has that many hills, and there's a lot of hills around here, God. The provision is there, God. The possibility is there. The potential is there. I pray, Lord God, that we would seize upon that, that we would be on fire to go after the people in our community who are lost, confused, or just plain ignorant. Help us to fulfill our fullest potential. God, I pray that there will be a passion that brews and builds up in this congregation. Help it to be strong, God. Help us to follow you in all of our ways. And help us to be willing to let go of the things that we should not be holding on to. the things that take away from the energy that you have for us to expend in the right ways. Lord, help us to know our potential, to meet our potential, to do everything we can towards you, whether it's big or small. Dorcas was raised from the dead, not because she had a megachurch, but because she made clothes. Help us have the heart of Dorcas. Because reality is people don't care about what you have to say until they know how much you care. And Lord God, I pray that this church will be a place of equipping and enabling and encouraging for the ministry, God. In your name, amen.